Hi, my beautiful people. This is Spill With Me, Jenny D. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so excited. I've been wanting to do this for so long. I'm giving you a real big hug right now. I don't know if you can feel it, but I'm giving you this big hug because I feel like everybody needs a hug or a, hey, you're doing great or you look nice or just compliment each other. I mean, see, I felt like I needed to start this because I've been running into so many people that just want to talk about their life experiences, the relationships or like any story they needed to share. This could be something magical or something they wanted to share, but they're afraid of what others would think, me included. Or if you're hurting inside or have a funny story about life lessons you'd like to talk about, I would love for you to reach out. This could be the worst or your best times. Listen, I have some good topics. We're going to have a lot of fun because I believe the best medicine is to talk about it because someone else is dealing with the same shit. Hi, beautiful people. Thank you for listening to another episode of Spill With Me, Jenny D. I actually met this wonderful woman, Janelle, at a networking group in August. We were at that Women's Day. And anytime I meet new people, I always find out that we all have a story. We all have something that's important to talk about that we feel like other women or men or children or society in general should hear because it could be, it could happen to you. So I feel like I'm so passionate about it. So let me introduce my guest today, Janelle. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me today on yeah. Spill With Me, Jenny D. Excited with you. So tell me, when we were talking, what would you like to discuss today? Um, when we were talking about how people have stories, I just really thought about the last three and a half, four years of my life and just how life-changing it's been. And we talked just a little bit about how it can be broken up into segments. So the thing that I wanted to talk the most about with you, especially this time of year, is mental health and how to get through some really tough times. Right. Yeah, I feel like the holidays brings out a lot of anxiety. I feel like the mental health industry and people that don't even realize they have mental health issues because they're just so overwhelmed with trying to get everything ready for everything. You know, and it's everybody. It's not just women, it's men trying to get the money and making sure all the holidays are perfect. I it's so I'm like it's November, so now we're really diving into it. Yes, yes, definitely. And you're going into a season where we have obligations um, to be with family or friends that we um, maybe only see at those times and it brings up memories from our past or you just think of past situations with those people that might not have been healthy or um, people that you truly want to be around, but you need to be with them because they're family or it's just a part of tradition. And we're just going to, I hope, just talk about some ways to help get through that. And also a therapy called EMDR that can help for not necessarily right now because it's actually so hard to find a therapist that can do this particular therapy just because of the state of the world right now and right. how much everyone has gone through. So now, um, e, so you said E. M-E-R. Yes, and it's called Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing Therapy. Wow, that's a tongue twister. Yes. (laughs) I've never heard of it. How long has this been around? Um... For at least, I think about 40 years. What? I had a couple friends who are therapists. I had been doing some research about four years ago. I was homeschooling my two girls who are now 13 and almost 10. My husband was traveling a lot for work. We did not live near any family. And I was directing one of our homeschool programs. So I had just taken on and I run a business um, at home. So I had just taken on a lot and was exhausted and not sleeping well. I had had some childhood traumas, they say in therapy, like big T traumas and little T traumas. And I had a couple pretty big, big T traumas that um, just kept coming back in the back of my mind once in a while and I just felt like it wouldn't necessarily go away. It wasn't stuff. Some of them were things that popped up as an adult, like, oh, I have this memory. There was something that triggered it. Right. I do feel like and things I, can trigger things that we don't want to think about again. Like we're trying to erase yeah. it. 
but there are things out there. A show, a song, a person may look. It's there. Yes. Yes. So, yes. And I had heard someone talking about it, so I did a little research. And one of the things that it's used for the most is for people with PTSD. And it's used a lot with the troops when they come back, especially with all the men and women over the last 20, 25 years who have been through so much. Um, What EMDR does is it, during the processing, it bilaterally stimulates your brain. We have our amygdala and our hippocampus. And our amygdala is where... You're talking about in the head. In our brain, yes. I'm sorry, I'm touching my brain, but... (laughs) I'm like, nobody can see you. (laughs) Um, These traumas are stored in our amygdala and they need to be moved over to our hippocampus. So what my therapist had said when I was getting ready to start this process almost two years ago was um, it's like a filing cabinet. If we think of our brain as a filing cabinet. I love that, yes. It is so messy and the papers are just shuffled everywhere and there's stuff in piles and papers sticking out of the drawers and we need to get those papers filed properly so that some of these traumas that are like blaring in your brain get moved and pushed away to where they need to be so that you can function wow better um that's powerful i have never heard of that yes yes it's truly it's truly a gift that someone was able to to figure this out so i had sought out somebody almost four years ago and knew that i just needed help need to just work on some things for myself and started the process of just the intake when you find a therapist you know they they want to make sure they're a good fit with you they want to know your background the best way to help you Right, because not every therapist is going. Yeah. You're going to mesh with, or you're going to feel, you know, that this person is. You're looking at them; they're looking at you, and you realize this person cares about me, and I, you know, and right. I, I yeah. think they're but, going to help me. Or that relationship, right? We'll be talking about some pretty deep things, most likely that you know that you're telling them in confidence, but you need to feel comfortable. People need to feel comfortable with their therapist. Right. And recently, I was with my daughter at one and um, because we had found a therapist it worked for a year but we weren't getting to to where we felt like we could go so it was time to move on and there were no hard feelings and the new said you know if we break up after a couple visits it's okay so (laughs) sometimes you just gotta feel people out before you find the right one so I had done that not knowing that about Three months later, when I found that therapist, we would be moving to England. Oh, wow. So we both decided since, you know, it's a process and it, it's not something that you just do once and you feel better, you have changed. So we knew that it really just didn't make sense to continue right. together. So, Why were you moving to England? Uh, my husband was a civilian for the Army, so we went over there for him to um, kind of just be a technology scout for wow. the Army in Europe and Africa. Thank so. you for his service. Thank yeah. you so yeah. much. He enjoyed it. Even though he didn't put on the uniform, he definitely was still active, yeah. Knowing and knowing that he was doing doing something for our troops, so it was cool. Now, how did you feel about going to England and moving up the family and just... We were excited. I had felt for about three years that it was time to move on. We had been in Maryland for 15 years when we moved. Um, We weren't from there, and I knew that we were supposed to go, and so I was... I always get those feelings sooner than my husband, so I start telling them, him and when I get them, um, yeah. and I said, you know, we're going to be making a change, we're going to move, it's not going to be a local move, so be ready. Like, when it happens, it's going to be time and we're going to go. So in May of 19, 2019, he was offered the position, and by the end of July, our house was sold, and a week later, we were moving to England, so it was a very quick process. Wow. Very quick process. That, that talk about anxiety. No, and you know, I'm moving is one of the biggest anxiety, stressful things that happen to people because you're just it's overwhelming. Yes, yes, and it definitely was. And that first night when we were in our hotel room, you know, I had been, I had been up for well over a day, and 
had slept for a bit. We fell asleep at dinner. I had slept for a few hours and everybody else was sleeping and I was wide awake and I went into the bathroom and I just cried mm-hmm. and cried because I knew that was what we were supposed to do. But I was like, we just uprooted our family. We sold our house. You know, it was just, it was big. I mean, it's not like you're just moving, you know, in the same city or in the same state. You're moving to England. Yes. <laughs> or we at least spoke the same language, but we found out over the two years that we were there that it's a different culture. You know, it's a different culture. Um, and I think we, people just take for granted, oh, we all speak the same language, so it's the same. Mm-mm. They're lovely people. Um, it's an amazing country, but it's different. It's different for right. sure. How many years were you there? We were there for two. Our commitment was two. Our goal was to stay there for five I could have stayed there forever. I absolutely loved it. Okay. I wasn't sure how you were going with this. Yes. Okay. Absolutely loved it. Um, I actually saw a picture that a friend posted of our street that we lived on um, the other day, and it was of the trees, and it just looked like a carpet of yellow leaves, and then the trees all around it, and I just burst into tears because I miss it so much. So know that the Lord has us here right now, um, that this is where we're supposed to be, so it's okay to to grieve the past, but still be present and enjoy what's happening right now. Right. Exactly. So so I kind of, you know, just pushed EMDR to the side because everything was new and fun and great. And um, the girls were now going to school at an international private school. So that was my first time having kids in school. My husband was traveling a lot. How old were they when you went to? Uh, Fourth grade and first grade. Okay. Yep, and um, we had a really long fall and Christmas break, so we were able able to travel out of the UK, and that's what we told the girls we were going there for was to travel and experience the world. And absolutely, uh, that's wonderful. I mean, yeah. for them to even know they they were too young to really realize where they were. Yeah, yeah, and they. And they enjoyed every bit of it, of, of all that travel and everything. We were also, we were living in a village, but there was also a community of um, Americans around. So we were friends with both military families and then locals. Right. Um, nice. But after we were there from August of 2019 to um, the end of February 2020, uh, my husband went to Italy for a conference and it was right when you were seeing Italy on the news turning red with COVID. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. So I could not believe that he was going on this trip on a Monday morning, coming home Friday, and we were singing in the school talent show Friday night with my daughter. And I was like, you better not leave me hanging. You better be at that, you know, I really hope you can make it to, um, talent show. show, Um, And I'm really worried that they're either going to send you home and you're going to get sick or they're going to keep you in Italy forever. Like, I felt like I was never going to see him again. I was really worried. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And he went to one of the areas where it was. It was started with an M, I feel like. But it was one of the areas where they were showing it. On TV. Yeah. So, sure enough, they were sent home by Wednesday. Okay. We did. We sang the American American presidents at my daughter's um, talent show in order for <laughs> all these families who were from all over the world. There were forty five different schools represented or countries represented at this school, so it was a really cool experience. And we were just loving life. I found out I was pregnant um, the week before everything shut down in England. Things were already starting to shut down in the U.S. Over in England, we were about a week behind at the time. So um, that was a shock. Again, it was one of those things where I had really felt that we were going to have another baby. And I made sure I verbalized when we moved to England to several people so that when it happened, I wouldn't feel like super silly was that I just really feel like we're supposed to have a baby while we're here. Wow. And And we had a little boy, have a little boy who's almost two now. During my pregnancy, we were basically locked, like everybody else in the world, in our home and in our yard. You were still in England? Yes, we were still in England. I did not come home the entire time I was pregnant. We all stayed in England. So you didn't have your family or friends or any help? Oh, no family. Was he still Um, traveling or was he home? Sorry? He wasn't traveling anymore? 
we it was no one no one was willing to travel over to see us and I I had such a tough pregnancy I was very sick and threw up almost every single day so we didn't want to risk me and the girls flying back by ourselves and us getting stuck in a city that we would have had to fly to first to then find out we get COVID or you know and have to isolate so we just decided it was safest to stay back to stay back in England during that time also um, and I know it was like this in other places in the world too when a woman was giving birth in a hospital they were not necessarily allowed to have their partner with them during labor and delivery or you had to labor the entire time and then your partner could come in right at the end are you kidding me no. So here I was like, oh my goodness, this is our last baby. I, I'm not going to have Andy with me. I had also had a friend almost pass away in the hospital that I would have gone to a year prior um, due to a malfunction and a doctor error. Oh my gosh. So I, I really didn't want to have to go through all of that <laughs> in the hospital. So um, knowing that home births were very, very common in England, I chose to do a home birth, which then allowed for the midwife to come for all my appointments. I had to actually go do my first scan, my first two scans by myself, which they later decided, um, but it was too late in my pregnancy, that that wasn't mentally healthy for pregnant women to have to go through these things by themselves. Yeah, now so they that, tell you. After. After, yeah. So I was so thankful for those other women. Um, and I was thankful it wasn't my first baby because that would have been so hard to yes. not have support. You know, but to not have seen my family during that time, being as sick as I was, taking care of the girls, as you know, we were starting to have all these unmet expectations and disappointments. We were supposed to go to Spain at the end of July. We had everything packed. We had a friend's house we were going to stay at right on the beach. Within 24 hours of when we were supposed to leave, the UK closed any travel again to Spain. So we didn't get to go on our vacation. My vacation home to see our family was canceled. We were just very isolated. Yes. Um, oh, as, yes. as so many people were. Everybody was. But um, in England especially, it was just very strict. You were only allowed to have six people in your garden, our yard. Wow. Yeah, so my baby shower was done um, beautifully by a friend who actually grew up in the Pittsburgh area. Oh, really? Um, and we were neighbors in Maryland. So, you know, all of this was timed so perfectly. But um, she had my baby shower in shifts. So it was six ladies would come. And for 45 minutes, they'd leave. We'd reset up all the food. And then we'd do the next shift. You're kidding. So it was did, just, did you do it outside? We did, yep. Yes. Yes, yep, because no one was allowed in her home. So when, um, how uh, far were you? I'm sorry, how, how? How far pregnant were you? Um, that was in September of 19, and I had him in November on the 13th. Oh, wow. And that was the last day that I remember feeling physically okay. Um, having him be my third baby, I knew how my body felt with the girls, and I just felt physically different and just very uncomfortable, and the last six weeks of the pregnancy, I slept for about one hour a night, and oh. I slept sitting up. <gasps> and Did you have the acid reflex? Is that why? Um, no, just the way that he was sitting on my bones, like my lower body, I was just in so much pain. Oh my um, I could barely walk. I couldn't drive anymore. I later, after the fact, had my chiropractor and acupuncturist tell me that I was one of the worst off, worst off um, pregnant women they'd ever worked with and they just felt so awful but they they were always compassionate but never wanted to let me know how bad they saw that I was just because they wanted me to keep going right so I think my mental health was most definitely declining during that time just because I was not sleeping we had actually chosen to homeschool our girls again um during that time just because of covid we were just worried that they would bring something home right. um, from school. My husband, being a federal employee, there was a new mandate that came out the October, so the month before Stone was born, um, that they could have three months paid leave for an entire year. They get to choose how to use it. So we had decided we would travel Europe for those three months because there was no way that we would still be in a lockdown at this point. We just thought for sure. 
everything would be over. Right. So we just thought, what an amazing opportunity we can give to our girls and just really have a great time together. I had Stone on, I would say, on Friday the 13th. Oh, geez. Um, That's so In November. Yeah. That's coming up. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. Less than two weeks. And, um... In 2020, like that was just the year. <laughs> it was such a such a crazy year right. for so many. And we went ahead with the home birth, which truly was not what I would have chosen for myself if we were in a different time frame. But exactly, you didn't really have much of a choice, you know. Right. Yes. When I'm in labor, I throw up. Um, I didn't really realize that there would be nothing given to me to help with the throwing up. So I threw up for about four hours straight during my my laboring on top of not having the sleep for six weeks. And plus, you know, I I had insomnia. So I had him, our girls um, came downstairs. They just happened to wake up at like 530 in the morning. Our good friend was there you know, doing photography and everything. Um, so she brought them down. They met Stone. We called him Winston because we were in England. And <laughs> it means joyful stone. So that's why we call him Stone. Oh, I love uh, that. Okay. Yes. So um, I just I just love it. But, but we got to have those few minutes of family time where then I thought, oh, I'll just get to nurse my baby and go take a little bath and go to bed, you know, and just... Right start recuperating and have this family time. But we were in another official lockdown um, in England, and um, I started throwing up again after he was born. And um, within, like, maybe two hours later, I started throwing up again and just throwing up and throwing up. And um, I just remember the one midwife at one point saying, you don't need to throw up. You know, you need to stop throwing up. And I just thought, I can't stop throwing up. And I just felt like I was, really felt like I was dying. Oh, my Um, gosh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And I just remember saying to the midwife, you know, tell Andy and the girls I love them. Um, I didn't even think about Stone because I knew he didn't really know me yet. Um, So he didn't have that bond with me. I mean, I know he did from, you know, being in the womb, but I wasn't worried about him per se. I was worried about Andy and the girls. And I was rushed by ambulance to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Um, So I was there saying goodbye to the girls at the door. They're standing there with the second midwife who they didn't even know. My husband was getting into the car. I didn't know why he wasn't getting into the ambulance with me. So that was all super traumatic. Oh, you um, probably were so weak. And, I mean, and, think about it. No sleep, no food. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it was a lot. Um, I ended up being taken to the hospital, and there's more I'll talk about with that at another time, just about the postpartum stuff, but um, was treated as a COVID patient, not as a woman who just had a baby. But that doesn't make Um, sense. I know. It was, none of it made sense. It was also crazy. They were saying that I was having a pulmonary embolism is why they took me to the hospital to just make sure that I wasn't having one because of the throwing up. And I just kept saying, my chest hurts. My chest hurts. My chest hurt because I had been throwing up for so long. Right. My muscles were just overworked. So just during that time in the hospital, not being with Andy for certain points, being a maternity ward with seven other women and their crying babies. Um, I couldn't sleep. Anytime I would start to fall asleep, I would hear babies crying. Stone never cried. Um, he was so content, but I would just wake up with such a jolt every time. So by the time two days later I was back home, I was starting to have panic attacks, which I had never had before. Um, I would close my eyes and just be woken with a jolt and just started to have this panic. Well, what did they um, find? I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but what did sorry. they find at the hospital? Like, did they tell you that this is what's going on? There was no pulmonary embolism. They had, they had thought my midwife was, so just sort of the trauma stuff, they had thought the midwife was my mother. So for over two hours, Andy and I were apart. He was sitting in the car wondering what was going on. They would not allow him in until I said, I need my husband. And we finally figured out what was going on. They pumped full of medication and they made it seem like I had this crazy infection when I really had nothing wrong. So it just was a lot of undiagnosed. Yeah. It was just, yeah. Um, 
so they, yeah, and I was kept in the ambulatory area for over 12 hours. Stone was never given like a little baby bed. We had to hold him the entire time. So it was just a lot of things setting, you know, just falling into motion to put me in um, a pretty rough spot. Right. Um, I can only imagine. Oh. And, you know, after about a week of, of trying to recover, I had a chiropractor come, which I love chiropractic care. But whatever happened with this adjustment, because I can remember it vividly, I ended up developing vertigo. Oh, my gosh. So by Christmas, I had vertigo, insomnia, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, um, and PTSD from everything that was going on. So Did you know I just that you had that? Point where I had said, I need to be admitted into a hospital. I was not wanting to end my life, but I knew, like, I was just like, I just need sleep. I just need to sleep. Right. And I could not sleep sleep aids and things are prescribed differently um, in different countries and so the protocol it was it's tougher to get that support um, but we had decided as far as checking me into a hospital due to COVID once again um, I would be separated from Stone and my family there'd be no visits I wouldn't be able to just have him come in to be able to nurse him right. nursing for me was one of the things it was really hard with my first daughter but I plugged through that I truly, truly just love about being a mom. And I've just felt so blessed that I've been able to do that because I know so many women can't. So I've never taken that for granted, but I was willing at that point to end nursing to get help because I just knew I needed something. I sought out a therapist, started talking to her, um, and we ended before the Christmas season. And I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get through this. But then I just started declining and declining. And we visited um, that friend and her husband who threw the baby shower for me. And they did not realize truly how bad I was. And they were able to experience it and they saw it. So it was good for outsiders to to see me. Because my husband was just trying to keep the house running. Right. And there's nothing he could really do. Right. Yeah. And we were isolated from our families. My dad actually came in from Florida. He had just retired from American Airlines um, a month before. So again, all that perfect timing. Um, He stayed with us for seven weeks. And during that time, I continued with my therapy. Um, For two of those weeks, I went and lived with my friend and her family. And she cooked for me. She just basically did everything for me because Andy needed to be focusing on the girls. And he would bring stone to me every day so I could nurse. But I just really needed to try to sleep, which was not happening. Um, You're kidding still. A scary time. Yeah. When When we aren't getting sleep. I mean, that's a form of torture. And, you know, so it was just a lot. And then I was having these constant, constant motion with the vertigo. And there's also a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And I'm not sure who wrote the book. I can't think of the name offhand, but um, it talks about traumas and how your body has memory. And some say even as far back as childbirth, our body holds on to some of these traumas and they might come out at different times. So I was just having a lot of very strange sensations in my body that just made me feel crazy. But I knew I wasn't because it was happening to me. Right. So we had, over time, just found the right doctors um, to work with. We had a team with a psychiatrist, a general practitioner. This is still in England, right? I'm sorry? You're still in England. Yes, still in England. How old is the baby now? The baby's like three months old. Okay. So from the beginning of 2021 through the end of June, I had regular visits with my general practitioner, my psychiatrist, my neurologist. I had a chiropractor who I would go to, and they were all just a team. And I, and they were all private. They were all private doctors. Said to my therapist, do you think I should try some sort of um, hypnotherapy or something to help get me through what I went through with Stone? And she said, I don't necessarily think that, but I have a psychologist who practices EMDR with women who have been through traumas through childbirth just like you and I'd like you to see if you'd be a good fit and that's instantly when I knew that was what I had been trying to start over a year prior oh that's right do so I said no okay 
I should add too, during that time, I did start on medication. I was given, you know, different advice from people saying, oh, it's, once you start antidepressants, it's a slippery slope. You're nursing. You should really try to not do it. Over 50% of the people in England are on antidepressants or sleep meds. You know, tried, try your best not to have to use them. So I just powered through. And what I really needed was to have listened to my general practitioner who was just saying, you just need sleep. It's okay. I then had him say to me, finally, after many visits with him, he said, do you look at someone differently who takes antidepressants? And I said, no, because they need they need it. It might not be something they need forever, but right. but that's what helps them get through the day and function. They need yeah, it. Yeah, here's what we And he say, shared yeah. with me that he had been on them for six years. And he said, and he was no longer was at that point. He said, do you think any less of me? And I said, absolutely not. He said then, okay, you need to give yourself grace. You need to be gentle with yourself and just allow that. So that was huge. Between working to get the medication to where it needed to be and meeting this new therapist, I worked with her from the end of January through April to just do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. And explain um, that to that me. They call that CBD, CBT, if you ever hear that. Yeah. And they were just Janelle, techniques. I'm sorry. Explain that a little bit to me. They are techniques to just help yourself to get grounded, okay. to be in the moment, to um, help you not ruminate. You just really focus on the present and not be thinking about that thing that you're always thinking about or when you're having a panic attack. So one of those things Did it that work? it really helped to calm. Yeah. Um, it took a while to have it click where I would think, oh, I need to do this. But my husband would say, okay, what's reality right now? And then he'd say, what are five things you see? And I'd look around the room and name five things I'd see. And he'd say, what are four things you can hear? And I would name the four things I could hear. What are three things you can touch? And I'd try to find things that had texture. Just what to get your mind off of things you could off. smell. Okay, just to get your mind off of yep. everything. Yep, just your five senses, but then you'd go that way. So, sometimes TMI, but I'd like smell my underarms, like, <laughs> you know, like I would just try to like right. <laughs> really smell thing. Right, um, oh yeah. And then one thing you could taste. It just really gets you into that present moment. So that was something that I had to do a lot. Another thing I would do was I would put my hand either like on the top of my shirt, but whatever it was, just putting my bare hand on my chest, on my skin of compassion, and then just speaking truth to myself. I'm sorry. Say um, that again, hon. It was something compassion. The hand of compassion. Oh, okay. I like and that. You would just, I would just speak like affirmations or truth to myself or Bible verses, or I would sing a part of a song. There was a time where I would say when I would do that, I can't even feel my hand on my own body. I just felt so disconnected, dead. Yeah, it was just so crazy. I could feel his hand when he would do it. So that's what we'd have to do sometimes times is put his hand there, that hand of compassion and just being nice to yourself, to myself. And then another one was a technique for sleep, which I know so many people would benefit from. And that's called the breathe technique. Okay. And you just lay there. And one of the things with my vertigo and with my body keeping the score from my traumas is when I would lay down, I would feel like my body was in constant motion. So I never felt settled or Relaxed still. and still, yeah. yeah. I just felt like I was bobbing like on a boat inside of myself. One of the things we equated that to was riding backwards in the ambulance so quickly and my body just like... And movement, and the other is it oh. felt like it was when I was in the birthing pool. Oh, that's so true. I feel those sensations that I still get once in a while today. It's not completely gone. It's so much better. But I know there's so, other women out there that have probably gone through something similar to this. Yes. I'm still worried about the throwing up. I mean, did they even figure that out? My throwing up? Yes. It was just something my body did when I was in labor, when I was transitioning. And when I had had the girls in hospital, I had had epidurals and was given something to stop throwing up. Okay. And that's all I needed. I just needed a shot with something, but okay. didn't have access to it. Right. Okay. I just was concerned about that. Yeah. And I thought a listener yes. might want to know yeah. why so, too. 
yeah, so there was no pulmonary embolism or anything. Okay, but um, but with the breathe technique, you spell out the word breathe, and then you start with the letter B, and you try to think of as many words that start with the letter B. And you just name them to yourself, like kind of like objects or something that you can touch or see or feel. So bear, a bus, you know, you just go through things and you exhaust the Bs as you need to do as many as you can. And then you start naming all of the R words you can think of. Mm -hmm. Um, Goal is that you only get into a few Bs and then you start to doze off. There were times in the beginning that I truly would spell the entire word breathe and I would still be laying there so frustrated. Um, Because you're still thinking about it. You're still, your mind is still thinking like, okay, this is supposed to help me sleep. I'm going to go to sleep now. You know, it's almost like you're fighting yourself. Yep, I truly was. Now that's not the case, but um, but that's just a great technique. And I would even, the overachiever in me would say... Listener, she has uh, her baby stone is sleeping right now so she's gonna go check on him <laughs> yeah so then um i would say brown bear black bear i would start trying to think of double b words and i'd be like yes high five like you thought of extras yeah right. um but anyways, <laughs> great great way to help calm yourself and fall asleep and my therapist had said by the time you get to the R for most people it you start to doze off um and that is that has been the case for me um are you still practicing it today on not at night but I often do allow myself to rest during the day when stone naps and if I overthinking or just my brain won't stop thinking about what I need to do next or Mm, you know that that's everyone yeah I know that's me. I'm always thinking ahead of like, okay, I need to remember to do this. I write lists, and I if I don't have all that stuff done on my list, you know, I, I bring it on to the next day. So, you know, the trauma of, you know, anxiety and thinking that we got to do everything at once or I'll be up, you know, because I had insomnia too. Yes, and that is not fun. No. I'm sorry, yeah. I took, is, I took some uh, Tratazone. I've been taking that, and it's it's been helping me fall asleep. Good. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes we do. We need those aids to get us to get us to where we need to be. So from January till mid to end of April, we were just doing those things and just talking and getting me to a place where it was safe to start the EMDR therapy. Because when you're doing that therapy, you're recalling the most traumatic event that have happened that you need to reprocess and file appropriately in your brain. And so with the work of the doctors, you know, communication and Andy, I I I had my husband as my advocate. I had my mother-in-law. Once my dad left after seven weeks, my mother-in-law came and stayed with us from February 3rd through the end of May in England. Um, That's nice. Because no one wanted to leave me alone. It was never discussed out loud that I was suicidal. We all knew that it was it could 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 have been a possibility so because i felt so sick and so awful but i just knew i couldn't do that to to my family right um keep pushing through and she had said the therapist had said that generally after 6 to 12 sessions of doing this processing i would start to feel a change um and not to get discouraged if i didn't but you know cuz it would take some time so it was finally in that safe place we were doing this therapy twice a week and during that time i was following a light so we were meeting virtually like we are now and she had a light that she would put on the screen and my brain or my eyes would follow the light and while I was following the light, that would then bilaterally stimulate my brain, and I would be recalling these traumas. And um, by doing that, that so many times, yeah. um, I started to feel a change. There was during that entire time, I just felt like I was there, but I wasn't there. I kept trying to say to Andy, "I'm here, but I can't can't get out." Um, I felt like I was almost my with the PTSD. What was happening is my brain was protecting me and just making me feel like I was behind a veil, like I was out of harm's way, almost, like I couldn't be in truly present. Um, Right, because maybe, I don't know if this is what has happened, but maybe you didn't want to go there for fear of feeling those same feelings you felt before. Right, yeah. And I didn't want it to happen again. And our brains are so complicated. You know, even the neurologist said, you know, it's just such a amazing computer that they're still figuring out 
Right. All the time. So after my seventh session, I felt like that veil had been lifted, I would say. My mother-in-law and husband, Andy, they could see it before I could. And we're starting to notice changes. In early June, we went to a party. We were all allowed to gather again out in gardens and our friends had a beautiful yard. So we, they had a, a 1920s party and we all got dressed up. And Andy said during that night, people kept coming up to him because these were people who brought us meals daily for like six weeks and um, would come and clean our house for us and oh, that's amazing. take the girl and come and sit next to me while I couldn't sleep and I was having a panic attack. So it was our community. Oh. We're like, Andy, this is the Janelle that we knew before she was pregnant. Wow. So it that's was just pa- very... That's powerful, Janelle. That's powerful. Yes, yeah. It was concrete. It was something that they could see. I was able to start cooking dinner again. My main job that entire time, those many, many months, was to feed Stone and go to my appointments, walk. I walked a ton and the laundry. That was the one chore that I did. But other than that, I didn't cook. I didn't clean. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything because the anxiety was so bad. Right. You needed to focus on you. You need to focus on you. Yes. Yeah. And again, the timing, my mother-in-law had recently retired as a labor and delivery nurse. So I truly know that we were meant to be in England during that time where life was kind of shut down for me to go through this journey of healing um, because I was able to then, now that we're back in the United States, continue my EMDR therapy with a therapist. I still go. The same therapist? Are you doing like Zoom calls? No, I, I meet with her in person. Oh, okay. There's one um, here, and yeah, uh, okay. Meet with people, and um, some therapists are still meeting only virtually, but most are back, back during their normal practice. But I'm just continuing to do this therapy, um, just because it just, I feel like it declutters my brain, and it just helps me to continue to be more present. I can leave a situation and not worry about what I said, ruminate. I I don't ruminate like I used to anymore. Ruminate. Yes. yes. I like that word. Yeah. And it was a word I never really used before. Well, let me ask you this. So when you're saying maybe when you, you know, your hormones, you know, we change so much when we're pregnant. Do you think maybe your body was fighting against something that was, it was there on the surface but you didn't, you were trying to block it out. So you were fighting your body the whole time. I felt like my body was fighting me. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It was fighting you because yeah. now did something happen in your life? This this trauma wasn't just the baby, you know, was it something years ago? Yes, yep, there was a trauma from when I was a little girl with a cousin. Um, I'm and, sorry, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. Okay. Oh, that's okay. Um, yep, so, uh, you know, an incident when I was little, um, my parents split up when I was a senior in high school, and that was all a lot. So, yeah, I just felt like I had just held on. My body had just held on to so much, even though people didn't necessarily see it on the outside, but just so much anger and so much sadness and just trying to keep things together and in control, and everything just went out of control. I think that's exactly what you just said, Janelle. You have maybe had so much control, like you've controlled your life, your, everything you moves with your girls and everything, and then you go to another country and you get pregnant, and everything kind of just, not spirals, but you're like, wait a minute, I don't have control. Yep, we don't. We most definitely don't have control, and that's something that was very freeing to realize is that I'm not... I'm not in charge of anybody but myself, even with raising children. Right. So they were, they are their own beings and it's my job to guide them and help raise them the way that I would like to see them raised. But I cannot take on other people's problems, emotions. Um, and those are all things that I used to do. Yes, I do that, that a lot. now been released. Right. I do that a lot. I, I, that's why I, I don't watch news as much as I used to because anytime yeah. I'd watch the news, I would feel like I know this person, you know, yes. and I think, oh my gosh, and, and just the stories you hear and anything, even with my podcast, like I feel like I know you, like we are friends and I know what you're going through because just listening to you, a lot of the things you said, I felt Yeah. You know, so the, you're very empathetic then too. Yes. <laughs> the yeah. And and it's hard for empaths because we feel big. Right. But then it crushes us. 
crash yes, your Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and I, and I feel like through this therapy and, um, the proper medications, it's really, it's really changed, changed that. And I too, you said that with the news, I, um, deliberately had to cut off any social media back in October of 2020 during the end of the pregnancy because it was also almost the election in the U.S. And I just kept thinking the way everything was portrayed that I would we'd be coming back to a country with all of the big cities burned down. Like, it just seemed so awful. I know. I was like, I'm going to move back at some point someday, and I, it's not... I'm not going to recognize anything. Right. Um, and I truly, from New Year's Eve through mid-May, I don't think I did a post on social media. I barely looked at my phone. I stopped listening to music. I stopped watching. If I listened to music, it would be like worship or you know something very uplifting. I couldn't watch TV or listen to the music on the shows that might be something like scary or tumultuous. Like my, my brain couldn't handle it. Right. And yeah, you were healing. So when you were in England, you were healing, you were finding what ways and what things work for you. And that's exactly. So when you ended up, how old was Stone and the girls when you came back to the U.S.? We came back in June of 2021. So just shy of two years that we were there. Um, Stone was seven months, seven or eight months. And the girls were approaching 12 and almost eight and a half. Okay. So do you think yeah. that was a better move for you and your children? It was, it was, it's been very hard for my husband and I, we, we knew it was hard. It was hard for all of us in a sense that I was getting better and then we were leaving. And what if we could have stayed as I got better? But I think part of that healing too, was knowing that we would be seeing our family again and we would be back in our country. Even like, though, like I said, the, the people we had met were beautiful and are who carried us through while we were there. But, um, just knowing that I was going to be home and we were allowed to live due to COVID again, um, in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh area, um, rather than go somewhere else because my husband would need that support from our family. Are you from where we're from? Okay. You're both from Pittsburgh. Okay. We're both from Pittsburgh. So yeah, just the opportunity to be close to family. So we see, and I know the girls see that too. They see the benefits, but they also just grieve and miss their friends in Maryland and friends in England. And as adults, we can see the bigger picture more than they can. So, right. I mean, I'm just so happy that you were in a better place. Thank you. Yes. What a yeah. I'm so thankful. I mean, and you you know, I listeners, I do this with most of my guests. I don't know their story and I'm hearing it for the first time. And hearing your story, I'm thinking, Oh, there's gotta be other women this has happened to. Yes, yes. And when you think about the therapist who I had had that did the EMDR with me, that's what she did all day was talk to women who had been through traumatic birth. And it doesn't even have to be crazy traumatic birth story, but there could just be something that set them off. Oh, yeah. Or or the hormones, like we mentioned. You know, we can't control those hormones after birth. Yeah, because I'm in that uh, prime now, you know, being 50, that menopause. Yes. So menopause can affect uh, women differently, and the hormones changing again. So, you know, it could be... You never know what you could be. So could I actually reach out to a therapist that um, specializes in EMDR? Yes. I, when talking to my therapist, whom I started with last August of 21 when we moved here, we both agreed that we wish it was available to any and everyone at some point in their lives. I do part of this. I've really wanted to normalize therapy in my family and to my friends. Um, it doesn't mean someone's crazy or that they're broken, but just a check, just a mental check to see where you're at, see if there's things that you just need to process that you've just tucked away and need to work on right. healing with. So It's so true. I mean, you sharing your story today and, you know, I can just, I felt like I was with you in England, think, you know, and standing there and watching you and knowing there was nothing I could do for you. You know, and that's probably the hardest thing for your husband, you know, for your kids and your family. That was another you know, country yeah. and states that they were probably like, what can I do for you? I can't do it. But yeah. you came out of it. You did all the work. And look at yeah. you now. 
Thank you. Yes. And I just, I'm just so thankful. And it just makes me so sad when I hear stories of others who didn't think they could make it because you then see what's and who's left behind and life can still be beautiful. You just have to get through that brokenness. Right. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself because you're the only one that can really change anything. And the other thing is, you know, a really big topic is getting in to see a therapist. It's almost like, and I'm not saying anything because, you know, there's a lot of great therapists out there, but they can't be working 24 seven. Right. So I think that's our other thing is maybe you don't necessarily have to go see a therapist, but if you recognize that there's something going on and you talk to other people, women, men, whoever has gone through something like there should be support groups. I think Mm -hmm. Support groups will help talking about it to each other. Like hearing about your insomnia, hearing about postpartum. I had all those. So, you know, I felt a connection to you. Like, I I know how you feel. It's horrible when you can't sleep. Yes, and so many people just suffer in silence. And we don't need to because there, there are people, friends or family members who... Or support groups, like you said. Yes. That's a good I think I hear Stone. Yes. Yep. He is awake. Aww. He's like the milkman is knocking on my door. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't want to keep you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our listeners about you what know, you've been through. I appreciate and it. Sharing your story, Janelle. Thank you so much. You bet. Yes, thank you. And I hope this helps help somebody else. I, You know what? I know it will. Normal. <laughs> right. We're, not, we're all going through this life together. Oh, yes. Thank yeah. you so we're much. We're trying our best. We're trying our best. Thank you so much for being part of Spill With Me, Jenny D. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me with Spill With Me, Jenny D. You can be anonymous, planning on having guest speakers, or anyone who wants to share their life experiences on the topic we covered that week. I'm going to post all that on my Facebook and website, so you will see what I'll be talking about that week. So give me a call. I can pre-record and put you on my, my episode that day. I stress this. I personally feel to heal yourself is to talk about it. And if we can help each other instead of keeping it bottled up and just release it, I think that it's going to help all of us. And let's have a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear from you guys. Oh, I'm so excited. This is still with me, Jenny D.